Well, in spite of what you've been told, the doctor has good news. Now, I know what it's like to wait on tests. I know from these last couple of weeks, again, what it's like to have blood drawn from someone you love and you're waiting for the results. And sometimes those results aren't what we want to hear. But you need to know that the great physician has come. And there is good news for all who will hear. And Luke, being a physician, as he is described by Paul in the book of Acts, we know that he uh, has good news for us in this gospel account that bears his name. Kata Lukan, according to Luke, is the way that uh, this gospel has been known. And we're going to read verses uh, 14 through 21 of chapter 4. Now, that's printed for you in your worship folder. Maybe you have a Bible with you, or maybe you want to pull one from a pew rack. However you do it, now you look on the screen. But give your attention to God's Word. This is important. You know how they always are running those tests on television when that irritating sound comes on there and This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. But yet, there may come that time when it's an actual announcement. And so we give our attention to it. This is important. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Hear the Word of God. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee... And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so, we ask the Lord's blessing on this reading of his word, and we give him praise for it. Amen. You know, some information is not as clear as you might like it to be. We've all had to read instructions at some point in our lives, even though our tendency may be to discard those instructions, whether we're building a model car or whether we're trying to put together an ice maker for the freezer. Men are notorious for wanting to do it ourselves and not follow the written instructions that are not always as clear as they might be. I mean, after all, you first of all have to find those instructions that are actually in the language that we understand and then to try to discern from there. My mother was born on the 31st of October, 1934. Papa told me about That day, he had gotten back to the house from the tannery, which was down the street where he worked. And she was actually born before the doctor got there. He said at about the time that the doctor was walking through the front gate in the yard, my mother came into the world. Now, that's part of the story. The other part of the story is uh, Mamma and Papa could not decide on a name for my mother. 
And days went by, and they just simply couldn't decide on a name. And I asked Papa, I said, well, how did you figure out what to name her? He said, the Metropolitan Life Insurance Salesman <laughs> suggested the name Norma Jean. And so my mother is Norma Jean. When my grandmother passed away years ago, we were working our way through old paperwork, and there was a, an insurance paper from the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. And uh, the life insurance policy was bought. It was for a seemingly insignificant amount in today's money. But the place for the name of the insurance agent was clearly there on the form, but the name was obscured. And I told my brother and sisters, I was looking at that, I said, if we could just figure out what his name was, we would know who named our mother. But it's indiscernible. No way of knowing except for the Lord above. Things sometimes are obscure, and we are unable to discern. But something we need to know today is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is emphatically clear. That there's nothing obscure about what Jesus came to do and to accomplish for us. The Bible makes that clear. And so we're all here today, presumably, because we get it. We've heard the message. We've come to understand. We know and believe who Jesus is. But today we have the opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture and read the gospel according to Jesus. And we know that overall this is entitled the gospel according to Luke, as has already been mentioned. We've got the gospel according to Matthew and Mark and John as well. But here Jesus declares what he came to do. And we need to pay attention. We have seen how that he has been anointed for ministry at his baptism, how that the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove from above. We have seen how that in the power of the Holy Spirit, he endured the temptation of the wilderness as Satan hurled his best at the Son of God to attempt to derail his life and ministry. And yet Jesus prevailed against him because even though he was very weak physically, he was empowered spiritually. And thus he overcame. And in that same power of the Spirit, he comes now to this area of Galilee to proclaim the word of God. As the report went out about him through all the surrounding country. Can you imagine people out in the fields working or in their homes laboring? And they're talking about this man named Jesus and what he's doing. We know from the other gospel accounts, particularly from the gospel according to John, that at this point he's already performed miracles. He's turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And done other things as well as he's proclaimed the message of salvation. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, as people were amazed at the authority with which he taught. And we know what that message was. We see it in uh, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, when we see that the ministry of the Lord Jesus begins. As Mark uh, begins his gospel account with the ministry of Jesus, how that uh, he came Proclaiming the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus preached that everywhere he went. That's why it's at the beginning. That's why Luke has this at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Even though it's not recorded every time he enters a town or a village that he's preaching, he is nevertheless. He teaches in synagogues. We're gathered here today because teaching ministry is important. 
precedent set by the Lord Jesus as he, uh, as he instructs. We have to be instructed. We're not born knowing everything that we ought to know. We, uh, we got to spend time with our grandsons. Uh, you know, we were planning to be back here on Friday. But our son let us know if we would make a little detour and come by way of Manning, South Carolina, they would drive over there from King Street. And we could see our grandsons. And voila, we didn't get here till yesterday. Because we wanted to see our son and daughter-in-law in Winchester and Sutton. Um, we love our family. It's important as we um, make that priority in our lives. And, and what a joy it is to be able to, to see family. Um, we do the things that are important to us. And there should be a priority attached to the matter of worship and being under the instruction of God's word. And I'm thankful that you are among those who count it to be important. And Jesus sets that example for us. We see that as he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and oh, how we would like to know more, wouldn't we? You know, we have that little uh, little window into his early life that we've already considered that Luke tells us about when he was 12 years old in Jerusalem, and we would like to know so much more, but we have to be content knowing that God's told us everything we need to know. But what was it like for Jesus growing up? What was it like for the people around Jesus as he was growing up? I suppose we'll know more when we get to heaven, or it won't matter. Either way, it's going to be fine. And so that's all we have. He was brought up in Nazareth. People actually knew him and he had this custom of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And here he stands up to read. Standing means there's importance given to the reading. You see, it's not just a matter of making a talk, is it? It's a matter of actually opening the scroll in the time of Jesus or opening a book in our own day and reading words that are ancient. They were old when Jesus read them from the Old Testament. All that we read, old and new today, are ancient to us and yet very relevant. Christians aren't waiting with bated breath on every new and latest thing that comes out. Isn't it amazing all the new stuff you can see at the grocery store? I preached this sermon before it's my soapbox, but you know, I remember used to when you'd go to the grocery store in the ice cream section, you pretty much had vanilla and chocolate and Neapolitan, strawberry. And now, isn't it wonderful? The year of the Lord's favor has come, and we've got all of this amazing variety of ice cream that's there. And there's a new flavor being invented every day, it seems like. It's amazing. It's just like colors of paint. Who is it that sits in an office somewhere and comes up for the name of all those paint colors? I, I don't... I, who knows? But Christians... We're, we're banking our lives in eternity on words that are established. We don't have to wait for the publishers to come out with the newest and latest things so that we can tag our wagon onto that and find our way on the way to heaven. We are counting on the old paths, the old truths that God has revealed. And so Jesus reads that, and he stands up because it's important. And he reads from Isaiah. Because that's what was given to him. He unrolls the scroll. Think of that. Jesus 
standing before you, unrolling a scroll, and he's about to read. Would that we would have that same anticipation when we come to worship. I know it's disappointing. You don't have Jesus. You've got someone else. But we can at least put ourselves there and think of the momentous occasion when this one that had grown up among them suddenly is revealed to them as he, with authority, not only reads, but explains what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he read it in a way so that the emphasis is on me. There's this emphatic sense that the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus. Jesus is acting and living and working and laboring in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was giving thought to this as we were driving back on uh, Friday and then yesterday, traveling down the highway. I was thinking about how, you know, it's amazing. You're able to get in your car and, and drive a distance. And we're here because everything worked. You know, the internal combustion engine. And the power that provides for the wheels of the automobile to get us here. You know, had we tried to attempt to get here in our own power, we would have had to have left a long time ago to have gotten here yesterday. But because of technology, airplanes, automobiles, and trains, we can be in all kinds of places in an inconceivable amount of time. If you're trying to live life in your own power, you're missing it. God has provided for us the Holy Spirit so that we may live in his power, that we may get to a destination that we couldn't achieve otherwise. The Spirit gives us knowledge of our own sin and the rescue provided by the Lord Jesus. He opens our eyes to the wonders of his word so that we might gain instruction from this word and live life more in harmony with his will, never perfectly in this life, and yet by grace to be able to live life more and more the way that God intended for us to live it. And oh, how freeing that is and how liberating that is. The world looks at us and they think, wow, you're just, you're just missing out on all the fun. When you become a Christian, some people have the conception of you've got to give up all the fun stuff. No, you're not. You're giving up slavery. You're giving up bondage. You're giving up chains and dungeons and darkness. You're giving up all the things that keep you from living freely the spirit of the lord is upon me he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor not just the impoverished in terms of economics but those who are the poor in spirit those who recognize that as we live life we see it in contrast to the holiness and the righteousness and the glory of god and we realize how poor we are by way of comparison and when we have a sense of that poverty, then we're ready because Jesus has good news for us. Proclaiming liberty to the captives. I had the uh, blessing of knowing in my life growing up a man by the name of Cy Vavruska. He grew up on the south side of Chicago, and one of his earliest memories was standing out in the yard when a when a whole fleet of automobiles went by, and his dad told him, oh, that's Al Capone and his entourage. Cy lived to be over 100 years old. And I, uh, after I'd gone back home to minister at my home church, was visiting with him in the nursing home one day, and he was telling me about his military experience in World War II. He was a captain 
in, uh, in the Army Rangers, the first of those forces designated as special forces. And he talked about scaling the cliffs at Point de Hoke and how at the last minute his commanding officer switched him and a friend of his, putting Cy in one location and his buddy in another location where Cy was supposed to have been as they were scaling the cliffs. A German artillery shell came in and dead-centered his friend. And all those decades later, Cy looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, Why? Why was that not me? He also served in the Pacific Theater, for it was Army Rangers, as he participated, who rescued prisoners of war behind enemy lines in the Philippines at Cabanatuan. As the Allied forces were making their way inland, they were concerned that the Japanese who were overseeing those prison camps would kill those American GIs before our troops got there. And so they sent Army Rangers in, in that dangerous locale behind those enemy lines, to get those men out of there. But as they got to the camp, many of the American GIs couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were so used to living in that prisoner of war condition that that some of those poor men tried to run and get away from their rescuers. Others of them were unable to walk at all. They were such in weakened condition from having to march through the hell of the Bataan Death March and all that followed after that. They were so weak that they had to be picked up and placed on shoulders and carried out of there. And so those Army Rangers chased them down and picked them up and did everything that was necessary to get those prisoners of war out of there. You know, uh, over the last decade, as our children faced life-threatening illnesses, we adopted something of a motto in our family, whatever it takes. We're trying to fulfill that now with our parents and doing what we can at a distance and when we're there to take care of them, to watch over them. And I'm looking at you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You step up and you do whatever love requires. What we need to know today is that Jesus has done everything necessary to rescue us. He has done whatever it has taken to liberate us and to free us. He hasn't left anything undone. He has come gloriously not only to proclaim the good news, but to fulfill all that's necessary so that that news is indeed good. And so he's able to speak these words of Isaiah written centuries before and proclaim them in the hearing of the audience at that moment as he speaks of the recovering of sight to the blind. And that's not just merely recapturing the ability to see physically. And Jesus did that. He gave people who were blind the ability to see. But he does that for all who trust in him because we all are spiritually blind apart from him. He is the light of the world setting at liberty those who are oppressed, knowing that Satan seeks to oppress and to destroy. But the year of the Lord's favor has come. A new time has dawned. And Jesus is standing there in front of them reading these words and is the fulfillment of it all. He rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and everybody's looking at him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. That seems too good to be true. So, just some observations. 
God's servants accomplish God's work because of the power of God's Spirit. I'll say it to you again. If you're attempting to do it in your own strength and power, you will continually come up short. You're going to be singing with Tennessee Ernie Ford. You load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older, deeper in debt. I give away my age with things like that. I, I used that line at a Ridge Haven youth camp one year, and the kids just looked at me like that. And I realized then somehow I had crossed over, and I was now an old fogey. How was Moses able to do what he did? He was able to do it because he was empowered by the Spirit of God, so much so that in Numbers chapter 11, verse 17, that the elders in Israel are given to share in that power of the Spirit so that they too are able to carry out the work of the Lord. The Lord filled with His Spirit those that were used to construct the tabernacle. How were they able to make all of those unique and ornate decorations and furnishings of that tabernacle? They had skill, but they had skill because God gave it to them. He filled them with His Spirit and enabled them to do what they otherwise could not have done. How was it that Samson, was able to exhibit such great feats of strength. It's because God's Spirit would rush upon him. Read it in the Scriptures. We think of Samson being this great muscular somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. He doesn't look now like he used to. We think of Samson being someone like that, but his strength came because the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon him and he was able to do the miraculous as others were also, including Saul and David, Elijah and Elisha, and all others in the Scriptures doing extraordinary things. They were able to do that because the Spirit of the Lord was upon them. We've already said it, but I'll repeat it. Biblical instruction is an essential element of life, and especially when it comes to worship. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How many times we have to learn that lesson over again. When I want to put my trust in myself or my ability or my ability to reason through a thing, no matter how brilliant we may be, inevitably we will come up short. We need instruction. We need to be taught. Just as it says in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, all the time. Thinking and doing and teaching, instructing and learning. We should be students all of our lives. We don't ever graduate from this course. We continue to learn. But learning, we also teach and instruct. We think of how the Lord Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The reading and the listening, the teaching and the learning are commended to us. And that's how life is to be lived. And we've already said it by way of inference, but I want to emphasize it nevertheless. Jesus not only proclaimed the good news, he is the good news. <laughs> a lot of people have had messages, you know, that are worth listening to. It's not just a, 
emergency broadcast system, or we interrupt this broadcast for a special news bulletin. Jesus shows up, and he's the best thing this world will ever know. There's a saying back home, and I remember Mr. Bowman, who lived on Allen's Creek, was the first one I ever heard say it. He'd be talking about something, and he'd say, oh, that's the best thing since sliced bread. I thought, our bread's sliced. I don't get that. I told that to my dad one time, and he had to explain to me that bread, you know, used to come in a whole loaf, and you'd cut it. And, and now that I've cut a few loaves of bread, I understand, you know, how nice it is to have nice, uniform slices of bread. I just... I just reach in the back, pull it out, slap some mayonnaise on there and a little bologna and cheese, and we're good to go. And suddenly I'm hungry. <laughs> best thing since sliced bread. Jesus is the best thing there is. You know, many of us in this election cycle, you know, we, we keep looking for the right person and we keep being disappointed. Maybe you're not. If you're not, I'm going to pray for you. I keep saying it. If you think any of these people that are being paraded in front of us on the television through those ads and through the news cycle, if you think they really have the answers, you really do need to hear what I'm saying this morning. Jesus really is the best thing going. He delivers on his promises. And it's not just what he says, it's what he does. His whole life is the gospel. Where we have failed to obey, He obeys perfectly. Where we fail to love, He loves fully. Where we are unable to deliver ourselves, let alone anyone else, Jesus paid it all, and all to Him we owe. He's the good news. The angels said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is a preview for Christmas. It's coming up. Reminder to you get your shopping done. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's our reason for celebrating. This is the Lord's day. Do you hear me? I know it's Sunday. Nothing wrong with calling it that. But it's the Lord's day. The first day of the week, Jesus rose from the grave. He is the best. He is the greatest. There is no one like him. In Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, and Jesus said, Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Speaking of Zacchaeus, also being a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Think of that. We're all lost apart from Jesus. People don't think they are. People think we're just another religion among all the faith systems. But nobody else came to save and to deliver. Oh, they came with some information. They came with what they thought was good news. They came with a message. They came with a philosophy. They came with a religious system. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost and what we need. And so, there's good news. And the more that we grow in our understanding of Jesus, the more that we realize our need of him. So we never get beyond it, do we? 
in the midst of the hurricane and the loss of life and the loss of property. I'm thankful that even in Ian, there are indications of grace and mercy. A young woman, as the storm surge came into her home, and she and her little baby were about to be drowned as the water was rising increasingly and moving toward the ceiling, she realized there was no way they would survive. And she had no idea what to do. She cried out to the Lord for help, and she grasped that little one and held him close to her body and leapt out the window. Now, there was nothing out there but more storm water, but there was nowhere else she could go. Where they came from, we still don't know, but three utility linemen just happened to be there, converged on that spot at the same time, and practically caught mother and child before they hit the water. One of our own church members. In his home in Virginia Beach, watching the weather channel. And uh, Bob Knuth suddenly got a conviction that his neighbors across the street from him here in Bonita Bay were in danger. And he called them on the phone. And the husband said, oh, no, we're fine. I've been out here shooting video. He called back 30 minutes later, and things had changed drastically. The storm surge was coming in, and they were clearly in peril. And Bob told them to get across the street, get to his house. He had a second floor. He said, I'll give you the code to get in and the security code. Just go in and make yourself at home and get upstairs. The water was chest deep. They barely made it over. They got in the home. Water started coming in his house, and they got up to the second floor. And later, both the wife and the husband said, you saved our lives. And the woman said, what cell service do you have? You know, Bob's a retired, Bob's a retired government agent. They figured he had something, you know, that was special. And he told them his cell service provider, just like everybody else had, She said, we had all kinds of family and friends calling us that day, and nobody was able to get through except your phone calls. Bob said, I don't know. All I know is that I felt a need to call you, and the Lord laid that on my heart. And the wife said, the Lord saved us. The Lord saved you. Don't you ever forget it. If you haven't had that experience, he welcomes any and all who will come to him. Look at the rest of us. He's got to accept anybody that will come. Look at me. (laughs) He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. Bless his name. Father in heaven, we bow our heads with thanksgiving as we praise you for your goodness and grace. And for the Lord Jesus, who continues to be and will be for all time and eternity the best news that anyone will ever hear. Thank you for our Savior. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing as we conclude together. All that thrills my soul.